Donnet Rocks episode 712 with guest Scott Allen. Recorded live Friday, October 28th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard here for the next hour or so. Hey man, what's up? Huh? Plunking along. I got nothing to complain about. It's the middle of the fall conference season, so when you're listening to this, we're somewhere weird. Are you feeling better? Um, yeah. It's the cold and flu season, so, you know, what All can right. you do? Well, I'll warm you up with a little better no framework. Oh, I like that. Gives me that warm, fuzzy feeling. Nice. Um, Where are we going? Well, performance tips for RIA services with Silverlight 4. Ah, interesting. Okay. I found this uh, on the Code Project. It's a nice article. Um, they use the AdventureWorks as an example. But uh, basically, they go through all of the code and show you where you can improve things. One tip right off the bat is on the domain data source. Uh, you, you control the load size and page size. And um, you can tweak those numbers to, to uh, increase performance and also limit the results of a query operation on your iQueryable. Uh, the, you can put a result limit on that. And then you can also cache the output. And those, the, the query result limit and the output cache are both, um, are both attributes. So, uh, and then those with those four tips, they show a dramatic increase in performance with RIA services. And it's cool. They, they outline exactly how to do it. They show you the code. They show you the performance benefits. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a good article. And you can get it at tinyurl.com slash RIA performance, R-I-A performance. That's it, Richard. Who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment off of show 710, which is the one we recorded about building a software business at DevReach, remember? Yep. Not that you should build your business at DevReach, but Last we were week. at DevReach when we talked about that. Last week. Yeah, and that was uh, Steve Forte, Tim Huckabee, Lino Tadros. Good diversity of personalities, I thought. Uh, and this comment comes from John Ludlow, where he said, uh, just on one point they brought up, I'm a developer and I don't have a clue about how to run a business. Sometimes I think I do but I don't really. You do need people who can make those business decisions and talk to customers and find out what they need and people who know the technology and know what it's capable of and just importantly, what it's not capable of. And you hardly ever get those in the same person. True. The best plan is to get business people and engineers who can talk to each other. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, he ends that with a, hey, I could dream, can't I? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I thought we talked about this during the show that he, uh, Steve said, it's very hard to start a company on your own, that you always need at least a partner, if not you know more than one, especially just to fit those different skill sets together. Yeah. And it's, a, it's an odd technical person that's comfortable with a customer or good at selling. Or uh, effective at uh, doing the bookkeeping. Or, you know, they're all different skills. You need them all. And also, don't try to do something that, A, you're either not good at or, B, don't want to do, right? I mean, ultimately, a business is going to work if everybody's happy doing what they're doing. And doing what they're best at. Doing what they're best at. 
So thanks, John. Great question and uh, comment on the show. We are going to fire you a mug. And if you'd like a mug, you can send a comment on any of our shows at dotnetrocks.com or send us an email, dotnetrocks at franklins.net. Well, Richard, this should be a, a great show because our guest is none other than Scott Allen or K. Scott Allen. Uh, he is the founder of Ode to Code, popular podcast and a software consultant who lives near Baltimore, Maryland. Scott has over 18 years of commercial software development with embedded devices, Windows, web, and mobile platforms. He's also the co-author of Professional ASP.NET MVC3, a Pluralsight course author, and also provides classroom training and mentoring for companies around the world. Scott, welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. And how are you, sir? I am good. I am waiting for the snowfall that's coming this weekend already, and then... I'm jumping on a plane to Dev Connections in Vegas next week. Which, yeah, no snow for us. We'll be crazy. We'll all be there. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's going to work out. So you're here to to extol the virtues of Modernizer to tell us about it and um, and tell us how we can use it. Tell us about Modernizer. Sure. This is a little JavaScript library that I first became aware of when. The ASP.NET MVC team packaged it with uh, ASP.NET MVC3. You do file new project. Uh, you tell Visual Studio that you want your web application to use HTML5 semantic markup, and it automatically plops in modernizer.js into the project. So it's an open source library that you can download from modernizer.com. And it has a couple of responsibilities, but its primary responsibility is to detect the existence of native HTML5 and CSS3 features so that you know those are present in the browser and you can take advantage of them if you want. So ASP.NET doesn't do this without Modernizer? Well, ASP.NET has always done some, let's call it the, the browser sniffing, right. user agent detection, trying to figure out if you're on a mobile phone or not. But uh, really over the last couple of years, we've, well, I, I say a lot of people have moved away from user agent sniffing because it has a couple problems. Um, one problem is over the last couple of years, you have browsers iterating like crazy. So just this week, I had Chrome version 15 installed on my laptop. So that's 15 versions over, I don't know, what is it, two or three years? Right. Um, and, and if you're sniffing the user agent, which is what we call when you actually look at the user agent strain that comes up in an HTTP header, then you're mm -hmm. trying to decide, you know, is this IE6 or is this Chrome 11? And then you make some decisions based on what you got back. You say, oh, this is IE version 8, so I think it has this feature and this feature and this feature, so I'll, you know, adjust the JavaScript or CSS accordingly. Well, I remember ASP.NET, when it first came out, had this nice little array in the machine config that had uh, browser capabilities in it. But I guess, you know, and one of my biggest questions even back then with .NET 1.0 was, how is Microsoft going to keep up with that? And, you know, the, I guess they really didn't. That's exactly the problem. No, no one's keeping up with it, and it's just not future-proof, particularly when you start looking at HTML5 and CSS3 features that are really very bleeding edge, and they're changing every couple months, perhaps, to the, the implementation of them. Um, so what Modernizer will do is not do user agent sniffing. It actually goes into the browser and finds out what specific features it supports by by running some tests. So it, it has a test that can tell you, yes, this browser supports the canvas, this browser supports SVG, it supports HTML5 audio, 
HTML5 video, those types of things. So right. are, those, are those tests done without any real performance hit to the user or any uh, weird side effects? Like, how do you test the audio without actually playing something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that brings up another thing, which there, there's a lot of things that people want to test, which still just aren't possible with user agent sniffing, like um, uh, PNG alpha transparency. It, there's no way to test that unless you actually look at the screen. But th there is a performance impact. And the idea is that when you go to modernizer.com and, and select download, you can actually put together a custom download of modernizer that just has the test that you care about because it all put together that I think there's 40 or 50 tests now, and those would all run at startup inside right. of the browser when that script sits there. But chances yeah. are you, you probably only care about two or three of those. And so you can go into modernizer.com and say, yes, I want to test for this feature, this feature, this feature, and it'll give you a custom uh, download custom version of the library that you can run. So this is all about graceful degradation. Yeah, you can look at it two ways. There's graceful degradation, which is um, one viewpoint, and there's also progressive enhancement. It's sort of the same thing. It just depends on if you're, you know, looking north or looking south. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, progressive enhancement, of course, is you know starting with a baseline and then adding uh, features based on capabilities. <laughs> And yep. you, it doesn't do that for you. You really have to do that yourself. But using Modernizer as the, um, you know, as as the information source, right? I, I really think of Modernizer more as progressive enhancement because if let's say I have a restaurant chain and you come to my website, I I want that website to be accessible to as many people as possible. Even if you have the the oldest, stupidest, most incapable browser, I want you to, to be able to find out where the closest restaurant is. Why does the conversation always end up at uh, IE6? <laughs> oh, sorry, did I say that out loud? That's a shame. <laughs> I was trying not to say it. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. wait. So, okay, sorry. That's my baseline, but I might use Modernizer to, to, to ask, does this browser that I'm running in support geolocation natively? And if it does, then instead of the person typing in their zip code, maybe I'll go ahead and just detect where they are and say, hey, here's the, the three closest restaurants to you. Right. There, there must be a, a nice architecture that you can utilize, uh, just sort of plug in components that way that will just not enable themselves if, if the uh, feature is not there using Modernizer. Yes. Yeah. There's a couple of ways to do that. And, uh, Something else Modernizer will do, if you want it to, is load what's called a polyfill, which I, my understanding is polyfill is is British for spackle. <laughs> yeah, it's Canadian for spackle, too, actually. But okay. uh, it's, a, it's a product. It's like Xerox for photocopying. Yeah. Polyfill. Yes. yes. So the idea is, is it fills holes. So with, with Modernizer, what you can it has a script loader capability that you can include in the download if you want. You could say, does this browser support geolocation natively? Yes, great. Let's just run geolocation. If not, please go out and load this polyfill, which is a little JavaScript library that someone else wrote that gets loaded into the browser that might use something else. You know, it might use like a, a Google web service to try to determine where you are geographically based on an IP address or something. Right. Although, I mean, even if you're making those guesses, you're often wrong too, right? Like, yes. You just try to pre fill some data. And 
the funny part about that particular one about location, I, I always get a chill when it gets it right. <laughs> it is scary. Yeah, it's like, oh no, this brow this web server knows where I am. But when it's wrong, it's very frustrating. <laughs> is Modernizer limited to HTML5 features? Is it does does it support browser features in general? Yeah, I'd say it's browser features in general. You know, there's a pretty big list you can find on modernizer.com of you know what what things it will test for you. But primarily it was originally intended for detecting HTML5 and CSS3, the the new things that were trickling into browsers okay now i keep thinking i'm sorry i always think graceful degradation here it's like i want to try and use the audio tag and if that doesn't work then maybe drop down to you know some kind of plug-in or Mm. give up on the music entirely i mean what does it actually look like when you try and do this yeah in that sort of situation what you would probably do is uh if it natively supports audio just um go with that if not you would have to pull down maybe a silver light or a flash and uh rearrange the dom a bit so that's so that's available right but um some of that can be done without modernizer to be honest you know there's a way to construct the html elements in the dom so that it, oh if this isn't there we'll we'll use the inner content which is hey it turns out to be flash or something okay i mean yeah, i'm the challenge here is of course writing code that supports all the different types of browsers you're going to run in, and then is also compatible with all those browsers as well. Like it seems like a real challenging double whammy. Yeah, things haven't changed much since 1998, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> if if you want to support as many browsers as possible, you're going to do a little work and a little testing, and uh, keep your fingers crossed and keep your hair on their head. Now, are we all comfortable with simply abandoning IE6 in this? Oh, I'm more than comfortable, yes. Okay. I, mean, just... I, I think even Microsoft is comfortable, right? I think they're yeah. trying to get rid of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, friends don't let friends run IE6. Now, do so. we have any numbers <laughs> about how many people are still using IE6? It's been a while since I've heard, but something like... Uh, I, well, actually, just last week, I heard that Windows 7 computers... There's now more Windows 7 computers than Windows XP computers. Is oh, that right? awesome. I don't know that that's actually true. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's getting close. They're saying that XP is still at 50%. Yes. So, but you remember, a lot of those are, you know, orphan, pirated, you know, who knows what their real, what the real numbers are like. But I think the big thing was that IE6 had fallen under 10%. But there was that whole initiative where, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to trap for IE6 and just say, hey, this page doesn't work for IE6. You need a better browser. Right. You know, for a long time, the the people that were firmly in the camp of doing graceful degradation and progressive enhancement said we we should never do that. We should never tell the user that you can't cannot use my website because of the browser you're using. But I think it just reached a, a breaking point <laughs> a couple of years ago, and then yeah. you had sites like uh, was it YouTube? But I think basically said no more IE six here. That's exactly what we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Google. Yep. Would not accept requests from IE6. It'd I, it would drop to a minuscule percentage overnight. Yep, it'd be done. <laughs> yeah, it happened pretty quickly. But I, and I think that's generally feeling. I mean, honestly, I think there are very few people who are using IE6 because they want to. There's two mm. IE6 has got several issues. One is, of course, it shipped with the original version of XP. So on lockdown corporate machines where you cannot upgrade the browser and you're still running XP, there you go. You know, there's a time mm-hmm. relation to that. 
but two other whammies. Second is IE6 was the one that implemented the wonky version of CSS before it was ratified. So people built pages that only work in IE6. <laughs> but the biggest thing is, unlike IE5.5, IE7, and IE8, where every one of those browser parsers is in IE9, IE6 was never extracted and put in the later version of a browser so that you could just flip into compatibility mode. Mm, it is right. truly an orphan. Hold on right there. Hold it. Hold it. I got a, I got a link for you. Ah, I found it. If you go to tinyurl.com slash IE6 usage, you will see a report from w3schools.com uh, that by year statistics of browser usage, and you can see all the particular brands of browser, but this is for IE. In September 2011, IE6 had only 1.8% of the share of market. That's awesome. IE had 22.9 <laughs> total. 4.8 is IE9. 12.4 is IE8. 3.9 is IE7. 1.8 is IE6. So it's dying. It's going away. Good, good. It's funny. Just had a conversation with a client this week that sells web applications that get installed behind the firewall to corporations. And, of course, sometimes it's tough dealing with corporations and getting them to upgrade browsers because... uh this particular company had always said, our application will always support the last two versions of Internet Explorer, or pretty much any major browser. Right. Which which was fine when Internet Explorer was only coming out once every two years. Well, there was a time when it only came out once every six years. But right. You know, it's starting to rev a little bit faster now, and that's uh, that's interesting for corporations. Well, we and plus within with HTML5, like everything's revving like crazy. You said it yourself. Chrome 15. Hmm. Yep. So the whole idea that we maintain compatibility now is is really difficult. Only point seven yeah. percent <laughs> of the browser market is using Chrome fifteen. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be some rough spots as we move forward with uh, breaking changes and so forth. That's going to be hard and unfortunate, but uh, we'll get there. I mean, a lot of these HTML five features you can you can use today. Certainly, the HTML markup. Uh, the semantic elements, things like header and footer and so forth, those those work great. Well, in, in the sense that they degrade well? Uh, in the sense that you can get them to work on pretty much any browser, uh, even, even an IE6. So th that's another thing that Modernizer actually will do is if you send, let's say, an HTML section element down to the browser, the browsers that understand HTML5 will style that appropriately and understand what it is. If you send that down to IE6, it actually puts it into the DOM, but it will not apply any style rules to that element, and it won't let it have any children. <laughs> but it turns yeah. out there's a simple trick that Modernizer does to get that to work in IE6, and that is if before you add that element into the DOM, if you do a document.createElement section, then all of a sudden IE6 will happily style it, will happily... Um, let it live in the DOM, let it have children, let it act normally, and everything just works. So hmm. Modernizer, when it starts up, it'll go through a list of all the new HTML5 elements like uh, nav, menu, section, header, footer, all that stuff, and just do a uh, document.create element for IE6. All right. So goodbye, IE6. <laughs> Although he just, you know, clearly described a way to keep IE6 alive. Maybe it's actually getting easier. Mm. <laughs> 
I don't know that it matters, but I hope it's getting not. easier. Just to the point where it didn't matter at all, it worked great. <laughs> For 1.8%. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems. All of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. I mean, the big challenge here is as new versions of browsers are rolling out, and they're happening several times a year now, how do do we have to keep updating Modernizer? Like, how do we manage the degradation with new stuff shipping all the time? Well, I think most of the feature tests it, it, it has will always be valid. Um, I'm guessing in a few years there might be things that you just don't test for anymore. Right, right. Because kind of it's mean? not yeah. it's not a database of features and browsers. It's actually testing. Right, right. Like to, to test if a browser supports the canvas, it will actually go out and do document create element canvas and get a reference to that uh, object back, and then say object dot. Uh, it'll test to make sure it has the get context method available on it. And if that's there and it invokes it, and if it responds appropriately, then hey, great, congratulations, you support the canvas. Yeah, and, and then what I like about this versus the old browser caps way is that if they've turned something off, you can tell. Yeah. Yes. It's not just, you know, what the capability of the browser is, but what's actually on. Although, who's turning JavaScript off anymore, really? <laughs> That's true. Although, I, you know, I've run into a couple situations, though, like in Chrome, and I imagine other browsers, you can go in and just disable geolocation. So there's a toggle somewhere where you can say just... Uh, don't let anything detect where I am. Right. And uh, Modernizer will still say geolocation is available. That API is still available. It's just if you call it, you're, you know, you're not going to get a result back. So there's still some weird areas. <laughs> Nothing on the web is perfect. Yeah, you know, far from it. I take it that you're in the progressive enhancement camp rather than the, uh, the degradation camp. Are these two uh, approaches diametrically opposed to each other or can you do both you can do both and it, it's really just the mindset that you take when you sit down to start designing a page or an application and and there's some situations i think where inside the same application you can take both approaches so there's like the geolocation approach that i talked about earlier where if the browser supports that then yes let's enhance the, the experience for the user and try to detect where they are where if I have a uh, video player, I might think of graceful degradation instead. You know, the baseline will be, we assume you support all the latest HTML5 audio video great feature stuff. Um, 
But if you don't, then we'll degrade into something else. Maybe let you download the video would be the worst case. So the difference is that no matter what, the video will be a feature that will be used whether you download it or watch it or how you watch it. But geolocation is a feature that's either there or not. Right, right. Yeah. Now, I'm also looking at, on GitHub here, the modernizer uh, cross-browser polyfills. Mm-hmm. So maybe we need to dig into exactly what it means, these, this whole breakdown here. This is literally each piece you care about? Yeah, so on the, the GitHub site, there's a, a list of all the polyfills that people have written for HTML5 features. Okay. Some of them, are, quite frankly, are, are worthless. Okay. Um, some, <laughs> some so there's not a quality good. assessment going on here, just availability. Uh, availability, right. Um, so things like, well, when I say worthless, I'm thinking about things like if I remember the uh, web workers. So web workers are the ability to spin up essentially background threads in JavaScript and have them go off and do some computations for, for you and pass a message back to the UI thread to say, hey, here's a result. Right. Well, if a, if a browser doesn't natively support that, um, there's not a whole lot you can do. I, I imagine you could pull down a plugin, you know, maybe pull down Silverlight and ha- have it do background threads for you. But that's, I don't know, it could be a whole lot of work. I think the other side of this is really saying, if it doesn't support it natively, don't do it. Yes. Yeah, well, and so the idea here is there's a polyfill for web workers, if I remember. But all it really does is construct the API for you so that if that your code that is using web workers won't break and give you something like object not found, that kind of error. Right. But it's, but it's also not going to do anything. <laughs> okay, <laughs that's pretty useless. A, a, a I mean, fake, other yeah. than just stopping errors. Yeah, it's it stops errors and maybe it will help you not have to branch your code somewhere to, to do a feature test. So it's debatable. But, but some of the other ones are quite good. I mean, you see people... Uh, replicating canvas functionality with with different plugins um, the ability to fall back from no video tag to a uh, flash player things like that right there's the the geolocation polyfill that I talked about earlier that I think uses uh, Google just to, to to find out where you are since Google seems to know nearly everything <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't really matter one way or the other. Right. So, I mean, if I'm working as a developer, should I really, or as a web developer at least, should I really be running the lowest end browser that I want to support in this app to to really see what it looks like? Just live in IE7, supposedly? Well, I have a fairly pragmatic approach to it. And it really comes down to what are you trying to build and and who do you want to support and you know what are your use cases if i'm building a website a public website for a commercial company chances are they will want it to run in ie6 even if it's only less than two percent of all the requests now but um in that case there'll probably be a virtual machine on my laptop running ie6 so i can at least see what the web application looks like and obviously someone in the qa department is going to have virtual machines and running tests with IE6. So th- th- there's obviously a cost associated with that. And do you want to pay the price just to, to support 
those older browsers. Right. And I mean, this is where this whole anti IE6 movement came in was I, I think a business person finally did the ROI cost of supporting IE6 <laughs> and said, don't get, make it go away. Yes. Yeah, it was hard to justify, but now that it's down below 2%, I think more and more people can be talked out of that. Yeah, and when it was up at 10 15%, it may have been tougher. But even then, I thought you saw some folks who are starting to push back on it. So the fact that they're going the other way now is a pretty big deal. Sure. So the whole idea behind Modernizer and, and what do you want to support, it really comes down to your application. If you're building an application that uh, requires some of these features, but you still do want to support those old browsers, then you will have to pay a price for that. You'll have to have some branches in your code or have uh, maybe some duplicate style sheets or extra styles in your style sheet and so forth, extra testing and and all that good stuff. One of the things that Richard has railed against uh, on the show has been littering your website with if-thens. And <laughs> I can I can tell that that's sort of where, you know, that's sort of where we're going here with Modernizer. Is there a clean way to do this? just so it doesn't litter your your code with all these conditional branchings? Well, yeah, that is a problem, and, and you can try to avoid that. There, there are some tricks you can do with CSS sometimes to avoid actual literal if-else statements in your JavaScript. So uh, another thing that Modernizer will do when it detects that a feature exists, say if it detects that geolocation exists, it'll add a class called geolocation to the root HTML element on the page. Oh, nice. And if it detects that geolocation does not exist, it'll put a no-geolocation. And it does that for the other things like, uh, well, everything. Everything from JavaScript to, is JavaScript enabled to route um, border radiuses and things like that? So because that class uh, definition is in the root HTML element, you can write CSS and say, okay, have a rule dot no dash geolocation hmm. let's hide something dash geolocation you know we'll we'll style it appropriately yeah that that's nice so that just takes all the conditions right out of your code right yeah although i mean and i'm looking at your example right on your blog here uh, scott you know mm -hmm. if modernizer canvas then is one <laughs> thing but you, you, what's the alternative to canvas there are some polyfills for Canvas, and honestly, I haven't tried any of those. But okay. uh, uh, I've heard quite a few people talk about, I think it's called X Canvas, EXC Canvas, and that it actually works. Why do we say that with such surprise? <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 developers generally are, are we're easy to please. <laughs> are we? <laughs> this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Grape City. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Boss comes and says, sales are up this week. I'm taking everybody out to lunch. Awesome. Next day, oh, we're taking a loss. What happened? Well, you're a developer. You can create a report. So you go to your boss and say, okay, what should I report on? And they have no idea. Well, here's the good news. Active analysis from Grape City Power Tools empowers your boss the money guys, so they can find the answers to their own questions. And the best part is, it's a control. Completely self-contained BI. Using a drag-and-drop interface, users can easily discover trends in the data, and more importantly, the deviations from those trends through its powerful graphical analysis capabilities. 
Development against the control is easy. All you have to do is provide the data. Active analysis will take care of the aggregation, grouping, filtering, and sorting for the user. Of course, it offers programmatic control of all these operations, too. So if you want more company lunches, do your boss a favor. Use active analysis. For a free evaluation, please go to gcpowertools.com slash analysis. And don't forget to thank Grape City for being a great sponsor of .NET Rocks. So I put out a tweet asking for questions, and Rachel Appels has a question. Does he test the features with, and you got to do this with Church Lady, right? Does he test the <laughs> features with Super Preview? <laughs> well, that would be super one way to Super Preview? What's Super Preview? preview. Super Preview was a thing that was added to uh, Expression, if I remember. Oh, Expression that, Web, yeah. Uh, uh, essentially, you can say, go out and show me what my website looks like in all of the above browsers. Okay. Um, but honestly, I, I haven't uh, taken a look at it lately. So, Well, we're, really... it, that came out a few years ago, and I think we were all deeply cynical that it actually worked. <laughs> right. Right. To actually see side, but yes, that is, isn't that a holy grail thing there to actually have multiple renderings of the, in the different browser engines right on the same screen at the same time. So you can look at them side by side. That is the holy grail, right? Very almost mythical. Yes. It's important for people that want their website to appear with the exact, all the pixels in the exact same location across all the different browsers, which I think is Crazy. not good either. Not a good idea. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a worthy goal. Or, yeah, worthy is right. I mean, just worthwhile, maybe. Right. Well, nevertheless, it seems like a lot of people strive for that. And I think most of them came from print design, you know? Yeah. They're, they're used to printing a newspaper or a book or a magazine, and every user gets the exact same experience and everything's always in the same location. But it's really, well, I mean, at this point these days, it's, make a PDF. it's almost impossible. Well, even with a PDF, you want a nasty surprise? Take a PDF and print it on three different printers or even the same printer with three different printer drivers. Yeah. <laughs> you will get different results. That's like, right. And that's the, that's the, na I, mean, it, it, I torture print people when they do this to me. It's like you get identical results when you use the same printer with the same computer with the same driver. You do not get the same results when you have different drivers. Mm -hmm. it, it's not, this is not a browser phenomenon. Right, rendering is a complicated problem, and it, it it happens in lots of different places. I remember my daughter, my older daughter, who's now in her twenties, which is disturbing all by itself. I got her a new monitor, and she's seriously into art. So I get her a new monitor, and she says something wrong with my monitor. I'm like, well, what's wrong with your monitor? She says colors are wrong. Now uh -huh. I can't see it, but she can. Mm. Different monitors, actually, the same RGB values produce a different result. Well, and good monitors have uh, ways that you can tweak them in the hardware. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, we should, I mean, what it is, is just getting away from the lie of consistency. None of these visualization tools, whether it's the browser, it's the monitor, it's the printer, none of them are actually consistent. Mm. So, you know, we're not asking anything unusual here. This is a normal lack of acceptance problem. We've just got to deal with the fact that things are going to vary. And how do we vary in a reasonable way? Right. Well, you've, you know, let's pick on audio, too. You've picked up different <laughs> headphones and gone, huh? Oh, God, don't get me started. I mean, speakers and headphones are the, are the worst. Oh. Yeah. I don't know they're the worst, but they're also a problem. 
the problem isn't just the speakers, but the room. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you'll see in any studio or in any place where listening is critical, you'll see somebody out uh, in the f- in the field of the speakers. You know where the where the two speakers meet, which is where you should be. By the way, if you're listening to a stereo pair of speakers, you should make an equilateral triangle with them. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're at the focal point. You you have a microphone and you have a spectrum analyzer and you play through the speakers uh pink noise pink noise is equal amounts of every frequency it's just mm. it's bad <laughs> but it exercises all of the bands of the of the audible spectrum equally and then you look at your spectrum analyzer and see if there's peaks or dips in any of them and you put an EQ in line and adjust accordingly uh, it's easy to measure that way, but when was the last time you had, you know, uh, you pointed a camera at a monitor with a spectrum analyzer and then changed the color contrast? You can't do it. There's no tool to do it visually. Right. Mm. So you have to rely on your eyes. So, but, and you know what? I think you really get to the truth here, Carl, which is that people's eyes vary from one to the other. And oh, they're yeah. really not actually qualified to look at a web page. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> you cannot Let's just shut it all down. That would be a great error message, wouldn't it? Yeah. You are not capable you, of looking at this page. This not. page is beyond your registration of eyes. Rejection. I'm sorry. Well, I just, you know, the boss comes running up to you saying this doesn't look like on my browser. You, they thought that you would just look at him and say, I think it's your eyes. You can't do that, can yeah. you? Yeah. Yes. This isn't graceful degradation. This is just degradation. This is serious <laughs> degradation. <laughs> this is cruel degradation. That's it. <laughs> oh, man. How do we get off on that? Tangent? Okay, let's get back on track here. <laughs> so tips for modernizer users. Let's go right to it. Um, you know, my the first thing I was concerned about was architecture of how to avoid the ifs and ands and elses. But what other tips can you give us? I mean, is it that simple? Just query it and it works? I mean, are there are there uh, special things that you need to do? No, I mean, it's really straightforward to use. So uh, I guess the tips would be, the, the first tip is make sure you identify what you really care about and build a custom download for that so that you have a uh, smaller sized script and exercise fewer tests at startup. Um, another tip is you probably want to include modernizer inside of the head tag when you send it down in the HTML. A lot of people try to move their scripts to the bottom, but in order for some of these uh, features of modernizer to work, you actually want it in the head tag, particularly if you wanted to support IE6. It has to do the, the document.create element on those HTML5 tags before IE6 actually sees them in the HTML. Okay. But it is still up to you to decide, once Modernizer's told you this feature or that feature works or doesn't work, what you do about it. Yeah, and and that's the decision you'll have to make. Do you just gracefully degrade a page and say, well, we just won't add that particular feature to this page, but we'll still let them you know, download something or display something? Or do we right. really want to go and try to do the work to make this thing work? Yeah. Maybe there's a philosophical issue here. Is it better to build one page with all of this variation of should I do this or should I do that? Or is it better to start making separate pages? I mean, we're already tend to spin it off mobile into its own little realm, even though they're speaking HTML5 too. 
Mm-hmm. Should we go so far to, you know, okay, this is an HTML5 rendering page, this is an HTML4 rendering page? Wow. Yeah, that's a tough one. I think it depends on the context. I'd, I'd be wary of any page that tried to do everything all by itself. Um, but fortunately, there's so many different ways that you can approach this. And some of it actually, too, depends on... Well, to some extent, the server-side technology you use. I mean, you can always use, if you're using an uh, ASP.NET MVC application, then uh, perhaps you could have different controllers that respond with different partial views that uh, you can request from the client side, depending on what features you have detected and so forth. And, And that could make things a little more manageable. Yeah, I'm with you. And it, it does seem like we're being led down the path of one page for all. Yeah, which I think a lot of people, I think it gets a lot of people in trouble. I mean, I, I found it really interesting that Google came out with Dart a few weeks ago, which is yeah. A, yeah. basically uh, another alternative to JavaScript. So now we have CoffeeScript and there's Dart and so forth. But Yeah, I'm sure Microsoft's going to jump all over that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get that right in IE10. No problem. Yeah, exactly. But their argument all along is, is, look, we're building really complex applications that are essentially a single page, and they have all this JavaScript in them, and we need something that supports our uh, better supports tooling and, and type checking and things like that, so we can scale this stuff up in terms of complexity. Just trying to manage that. Right. Um, and in Modernizer plays, works and plays well with others. jQuery, no problem. You know, what's your normal array of JavaScript libraries? Yeah, these days it's definitely jQuery. Uh, some projects jQuery UI. Uh, underscore is another JavaScript library that I've used quite a bit lately. It adds mm-hmm. a lot of uh, link type stuff to JavaScript in the sense that it has, it's a, a functionally oriented library and it adds things like, um, Map filter reduce to JavaScript. And for those who don't know, map filtering? Oh, uh, sure. That, that basically, if you're doing uh, link statements with uh, extension method syntax, that would be like doing a where to filter things. Um, mapping is analogous to select. That is, I have some array of objects and I want to select things and project them into a slightly different array of objects. Maybe just pick a couple properties off each object. So those types of things. And it can do unions and group buys and all sorts of stuff with underscore. Cool. All right. I got one more question, and this comes from none other than Lazy Coder. <laughs> How does he keep that velvety voice so smooth? Ah, nice. <laughs> and what hair care tips does he have for developers? <laughs> yeah, you've got the hair, man. Yeah. <laughs> and does is the hair and the voice go together? What is that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel really fortunate with my hair. Um Voice is, you know, one of those weird things where you never, when you listen to yourself, you're never quite sure that that's really you. Yeah. There's a scientific Um, explanation for that, you know. Oh, is there? Yes, there is. So everybody hates to hear their voice, especially the first time they hear it recorded. Because when you speak, your voice is naturally deeper to you than it actually is because your head resonates with the frequencies of of your voice. You can feel your head vibrating when you speak. And that sort of, and, and your chest vibrates too. So you you have a sort of built-in subwoofer, 
You know what I mean? When you right. hear it back, of course, that stuff is missing and you sound like Mickey Mouse to yourself. <laughs> to yourself. Of course, everybody right. else has heard Mickey Mouse the whole time. doesn't really yes. matter to them, but to you. Yeah. Interesting. So it's not just you. And as for hair, I like to quote Henny Youngman who said, My hair is waving goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. All right. All right. Get us out of here. All right. That's it. That's all. And goodbye. Scott, thank you very much. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, we'll see you next time, dear listener, on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.